a little bit about me. Um, I grew up in Daventry. I grew up on the Southbrook estate. Uh, actually, I was born in the house, which is still only it's, it's two, two, three streets away from where Angela and I live now. I've never been able to get away. Um, and it's, it, it was a great place on the Southbrook there. Uh, it's a super community. In fact, we had a, 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 there was a couple lived next to us, who were a Christian family, and they had kids, uh, like three sons, a daughter. Um, and we went to the same church, and so we kind of grew up together. Uh, well, kind of. Uh, we went to, as I say, we're at the same, same church. But it's a real pleasure, actually, having Mike here today, because he was one of those sons. Uh, he's my neighbour. We grew up together, went to the same church, and uh, he's a bit older than me. I mean, obviously, I, you know, you think I'm old. He's ancient, uh, but but yeah. So, so we've kind of known each other for years and years and years, and so it's a real pleasure to have you here today, and Pete uh, as well. It's uh, and we're going to hear from them a little bit more about street pastors a little bit later on, which I'm really looking forward to. Uh, but before I do, I've just got some things that I want to share with you. We've been working through this series of talks, Living It, right? Where we've been talking about what it is to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus, or an apprentice to Jesus, is what we've been saying. And what I've said is that as apprentices to Jesus, we are all about centering our lives around three goals. Can you remember what they are? Yeah, well, here's the reminder. Goal number one, to be with Jesus, spend time with Jesus. Goal number two, to become more and more like Jesus. And goal number three is to do the things that Jesus did. That's our three goals here as the Vineyard Church. That's our goals. Okay? Thank you very much. It was very great to see you. Let's go. Let's go. Uh, now, this morning, what I'm going to do is actually focus in on just that second one there, becoming more and more like Jesus in his character. <clears throat> now, we could go on for like weeks, months, if not years, just pulling out elements about the character and the attributes of Jesus. And we will, you know, we've got plenty of time. Uh, not today, you'll be pleased to know, but we We'll take, we're going to take some good time looking at the characteristics of Jesus. Today, what I want to look at is uh, I kind of center in on the, the servant heart of Jesus. So today's talk I've called Growing a Servant Heart. You know, Jesus, he, um, in many ways um, and many times, he tells us to be servants, that was his instruction to us. And what's interesting is that that word that we translate in our English Bibles as servants there, it actually appears more than 150 times in the New Testament. You know that? 157 times if you look at the NIV version, and they, some of them vary on that. But the majority of the times where we read the word servant, it's the Greek word doulos. Everybody say Doulos. He's speaking Greek to me now. And it lit, actually, it literally translates to the English word slave. So, you know, many times when you see the word servant in the New Testament, you can actually interchange that with the word slave. It's kind of synonymous uh, in many, many cases. And what's also interesting is that just about every writer in the New Testament refers to himself as a doulos, 
of Jesus Christ, a servant, a slave of Jesus Christ. I've got some examples. Romans 1, Paul, it begins with this, Paul, a doulos of Christ Jesus, a servant, a slave of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle. Philippians 1.1, Paul and Timothy, doulos of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi. 2 Timothy 2.24, the Lord's doulos, again, servant, uh, must be it must not be quarrelsome. James 1 1 is the brother of Jesus, the half brother of Jesus. James, I am a slave of my big brother. <laughs> I'm a servant uh, of, the God, uh, uh, of God and, the, and of the Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Peter 1 1, Simon Peter, a servant of Doulos again, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And Leslie, another brother of Jesus, Jude a servant of Jesus Christ. Virtually every writer in the New Testament viewed themselves in this way, um, as a slave, as a servant of Jesus Christ. Now, why would that be? I would say it's because they understood themselves to be followers, uh, apprentices, disciples, whatever you want to call it, to the greatest servant of all. And they also knew that in order to be a true follower of Jesus meant Adopting his lifestyle, becoming like him, you know, the way we view others. It's just being like Jesus. <clears throat> if you were a few weeks ago, you remember I shared a story about two disciples, James and John. Actually, it was more about their mother that kind of came up to Jesus one day and they were like, she was like, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, can you reserve a couple of special places for my two sons? Remember the, the, the story? Uh, and Jesus' response was like, man, man you do, I have no clue what you're asking. He said it just like that as well. Man, he said, <laughs> you haven't got a clue what you're asking. But that kind of like sly, backhanded approach that the, uh, the disciples had, coming up to Jesus for a special favor, special privileges, high place with Jesus, it totally infuriated all the other disciples. Why? Because they probably wanted that position as well. <laughs> they just hadn't mentioned it right now. But they, they were all jostling for that sort of position. But Jesus, he kind of wrapped up that conversation uh, and this interaction with his team with this, this uh, little sort of pep talk, which comes up here in Matthew 20. If you've got your Bibles and you want to follow it, iPhones, iPads, things like that. It's Matthew 20. From verse 25 to 28, which says, so they've just been jutting, they've just been arguing over position and, and everything like that. Jesus calls them together, guys, come here, come around here. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be a slave. The, the um, King James Version says, who wants to be chief <laughs> has got to be a slave. Just as the Son of Man, talking of himself, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is saying, if you want to be big in my kingdom, you've got to become small. If you want to become important, you want to be uh, big and important, then make yourself a servant or a slave to others, just like I did, just like I am, is what he was saying. 
It's like everything in Jesus' way is upside down and back to front to what the world holds dear. It, it really is. His kingdom is so inverted and opposite to the way we operate in the world. But the passage that I'm going to actually look at today is John 13. So if you want to start looking there, actually there's a couple of passages. But you know, John, this passage, John 13, right from the beginning, this is a passage which is characteristically used on Good Friday in churches. Okay, So you go to a proper church, not like this one. If you go to a, a proper church um, on Good Friday, most likely this will be the passage that they will open up, they will read, and they will, they will speak on. But, you know, I think this passage and this whole topic of servitude, servanthood, is so important in our discipleship to Jesus. I think it deserves more than just a casual mention just one day a year. I think it's important for us every single day. I think we we should be outworking this thing called servanthood every day. So let's have a look at John 13 together. It says, It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things... This is the important thing, by the way. Jesus knew that uh, the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal. He took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that had wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. We can just kind of pause uh, for a moment on that. Now, I find Jesus really, really fascinating. He's really fascinating. If Actually, if you can kind of get hit back up. Verse 3 said this. Jesus knew that his father had put all things under his power and that he had come from the father and was returning to God. This, as I say, I think is key to what we're talking about today. Jesus so understood his own identity, right? Who he was. He knew where he'd come from. He knew what he was about. He knew where he was going. And as I say, I think this is just so key to having this heart level of servitude, humiliating servitude, I will add. Because what Jesus was doing was humiliating himself before others. And I'll explain that a little bit more in a minute and then on to verse 4 says so that he he got up from the meal took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist after that he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples feet drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him Jesus he took off his outer garment and this speaks of him taking on the position of a servant of a slave Hey, can you imagine what people must have been thinking in the room at that time? Jesus is taking off his outer, outer clothing. And they must have been thinking to themselves, what on earth is he doing? What is, what's he doing? What's Jesus doing? He's assuming the position of a slave. What on earth is going on? And then he starts to wrap this towel around his waist. and he's put, In effect, he's putting on an apron. 
Again, he's very much saying that I'm taking on this position of a servant here. This was such a tangible, physical example or message that he's actually communicating. Now, what we all need to understand is, and I'm sure some of you do already, culturally speaking, this task, washing somebody's feet, was usually reserved for the lowest of the low person present in the household. So the lowest slave, the lowest servant, whoever among us is the lowest in social status, your job is washing people's feet. Now clearly, it's, it's an important job, right? I mean, they go around all day with open sandals, there's dusty roads and dusty streets and what have you, so it's an important job. And it was actually common courtesy if you were kind of around visiting somebody at their house, you would be offered to have your feet washed by somebody who's customary. It was something that was needed in the day, and it was something that was done by individual and individual or individuals who, uh, with the lowest social status. And here is Jesus assuming that very role. <laughs> wow. And you know what? I think he can do that. He can take that role on because he fully knows who he is before his father. It's like he knows who he is. He knows where he's heading. He has nothing to prove, you know? He hasn't got to sort of bolster himself up and elevate himself up above his station, so to speak. We continue from verse 12. It says, um, When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that's what I am. Now that I, now that I your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, and no, uh, nor is a messenger greater than the one that sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Jesus is saying, yeah, there's no one above doing this, okay? There is no one who is so high, so cool, so, so cool and so important that they, they can't actually serve at this heart level. He says, you know, if I can do it, who's Lord of Lords, you know, I'm Lord of Lords, King of Kings, I know who I am. If I can do this, then anyone who calls themselves my disciples should do it as well. And in fact, he goes on to say in verse 15 there, I've actually set this as an example for you to do. And then he says at the end there, now, now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you actually do these, do that. I just find it interesting that Jesus is setting out this example of a heart level, everyday, humble servitude, explaining this should be the mark of anybody that is following him. Uh, you know, everyday sort of lifestyle, and yet the church only tends to talk about it on Good Friday. <laughs> um, I, you know, I think Jesus is calling us to have this level of certitude, uh, servitude all the time, not just once a year or even once a week here, you know. Now we're going to um, answer some of the questions like, okay, so what does that look like for us today, and or how do I put this into some kind of context? Um, 
But before I do, I just want to highlight six barriers to serving that we may have uh, among us. Barriers to serving at this heart level that may be even culturally humiliating or whatever. Equi- something equivalent to foot washing of their day. Okay. So the first thing I kind of touched on uh, earlier when I was talking about Jesus, a barrier to serving can be a failure to know our true identity. Just knowing who we are in Christ can be a big barrier to a serving. You see, most of the time we concern ourselves with, will I look weak? <laughs> will I look kind of small? What people think of me if I actually do this? Will I look stupid? Or, you know, I, I look foolish in some kind of way. Or what about this one? You know, what if I, I don't look manly? <laughs> you know, or womanly. Sorry, you've got to be PC correct. I mean, yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, I'm not manly enough, you know. But think about that. Do you really think Jesus wasn't manly? <laughs> you know, when he kind of fashioned up a whip and he went in and he chased out a load of corrupt religious leaders from the temple and he was like cracking down his whip and turning over tables. You think he wasn't manly? But the first step in really, really serving is getting to know our own identity and getting that right before Jesus, understanding who we are, where we're going, what we're about, and then out of that place, seeing servitude flow uh, into the lives of others. It seems that we forget very quickly that we've been made children of the Most High God. That, you know, He's sealed us with His Holy Spirit, He's made His home in us. His Holy Spirit empowers us to be transformed into His image. We forget that he loves us. And we forget that it's actually in him that we live and move and have our being. Right? So that's the first barrier. The second barrier then is we're often too busy serving or servicing a standard of living. We're too busy sometimes servicing a standard of living. In Luke 16, verse 13. Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and you'll love the other, and you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Some versions say mammon there. It's just talking about wealth. You can't serve God and wealth, stuff. You know. I think this is a real big deal for us, the church here in the West. A significant amount of our time is devoted more to um, servicing at this standard of of living. I mean, think about it. And this may not apply to all. So before you start emailing me, <laughs> I get back and I got all these emails saying, oh, you said all was that. No, this may apply to some. It may not apply to some. But most of our decisions are largely based on our standard of living. So you know, where you're going to live, what house you're going to actually buy, what neighborhood or what town you're going to live in. Our decisions about what school we're going to actually put our kids in can be largely connected to our standard of living. Will I be comfortable? Will it be an easy life here? Now, if you go to some countries, some African countries, um, I was reading this week about a vineyard pastor guy who's been spent some time serving over in Mozambique. Uh, and he was just saying how moved he was, how moved on the, the, like just the sheer servant-heartedness of the people. All, pretty much all, everybody, how they just serve and serve and serve. Uh, he said it's just so moving and challenged his heart so, so much. He writes about how 
you know, they don't have a standard of living. That's kind of an alien concept out there. You talk about that. What's your standard of living then? Huh? I ain't got a clue. That doesn't mean, mean anything. The biggest question for them, mostly, is uh, am I going to get to eat dinner today? Uh, or something, something like that. They don't get to choose where they school their kids. Most of the kids probably aren't schooled. Or if they are, they certainly don't get a choice. Um, they don't get to choose the comfortable options. They don't get to get the easy options ever. Okay? And so they're not caught up in trying to service this sort of standard of living because there is no standard <laughs> to, to uh, kind of maintain. Um, and that frees them up to actually serve in ways that are just mind-blowing. Really serve uh, you know, the kingdom of God and his purposes. But for us, we have a standard of living. Um, this is the thing. Our standard of living should not prevent us from actually serving at this sort of level that we're talking about. If anything, it should aid us. It should help us to actually serve more effectively for God's kingdom. <laughs> Now, hear what I'm saying here, or what I'm not saying here. I'm not saying that you know, having a, some kind of standard of living is wrong, okay? That's not, not what I'm saying. It's not it's a bad thing. I'm not saying that we all have to go and you know, sell everything up and go and live in mud huts somewhere or just like have a real hard life. That's not, not what the message is. But what I'm saying is what we really need to do is to figure out how not to allow the blessings of our standard of living um, get in the way or prevent us from receiving God's blessing, which comes through serving others at this sort of heart level. Does that make sense? So the next point, coming off the back of that one, um, we, are, we tend to be driven by a desire for comfort. We tend to be driven by a desire for comfort. Have an easy life. Has anybody seen the Great Showman movie yet? Yeah. Yeah, all the girls, oh, it's a lovely film. I've watched it once. Uh, don't worry, no spoilers. I won't spoil the movie. But I just want to kind of borrow a line, a quote from that film. Um, the main character, P.T. Barnum, he's this guy, he just doesn't give up on his dreams. He's got high dreams. He didn't give up. No matter what the circumstances come against him, He's just going to go for it. He believes in his dreams. He believes in something which is bigger than himself. Um, and he, you know, in spite of some of his ideas coming across quite unfavorable or unpopular, he just goes for it. You know? um, and then what's more, he knows that in order for his dreams to actually be outworked, he's going to have to start thinking outside of the box and he's going to have to come out of his comfort zone. Okay, so that's the backdrop. And the line which he said was, comfort is the enemy of progress. Comfort is the enemy of progress. So I think that's a great line, but I'm going to tweak it a bit because, quite frankly, it doesn't fit with what we're talking about. <laughs> it would have been pointless. So I'm going to tweak it just a little bit to make it work. Um, I would say comfort is the enemy of obedience. Comfort is the enemy of obedience towards Jesus. Serving at this heart level is seldom easy. It is rarely comfortable. But as a society, that's what we're all about, aren't we? We're like our creature, creature comforts. <laughs> I like things to feel good. And There's something deeply embedded in every one of us that we're always looking for the easy path. 
And the problem is, is that sometimes we can be looking so much for the easy path that we miss the serving path. And, you know, and the serving path could be right in front of you. But, but the easy path, I just look so much easier. I think I go for the easy path, you know? Isn't that true? I thought you were going to make me feel bad then and say, no, it's only you, Rub. Uh, as you usually do. But next point. We, uh, we love talking about... We love talking about it more than actually doing it, don't we? We love talking about it more than actually doing it. And it's great to teach on these things. It's great to be educated about certain topics like servanthood, to gain knowledge. But if that's all we do, if that's all we do is teach about it, if that's all we do is talk about it, then I think the enemy has us in a great, great place. Because I think he, he loves, he, essentially, he, he kind of like uses knowledge to get us into a place of spiritual navel-gazing. And he just thinks, <laughs> that's okay, things are safe. They can just talk about it, and they'll blog about it, and they'll write about it, and all those sorts of things. But we avoid serving at the heart level because we like to talk about it, but not actually do it. Again, it's kind of like, what we were saying earlier, it's, it's easier to talk about it than it is to actually do it. Next one. We would rather be entertained rather than served. We'd rather be entertained than serve. You know, we live in a, a society which is addicted to entertainment. Everything's like, make, you know, make me feel good. Entertain me. You know, TV, your movies, games, sporting events and theatre and all sorts of things. And, and in many ways, that addiction to entertainment has leaked its way into the church as well. We kind of satiate ourselves on entertainment because, as I say, it makes me feel good. And when you have this constant barrage of entertainment that come, coming in at you, you just don't have time to serve. <laughs> Last one, I think it is. We're often tied to the clock. It's a big one for me. Um, our time is so important to us, isn't it? You know, after all, there's only so many hours in a day. I've got to be careful with my time. Uh, time's important, it's commodity and all that. The thing is, we fill often fill our schedules with appointment after appointment after appointment. So when we have a spare moment come along, we're very precious about our time. It's like, you know, I've only had half an hour to myself this week. That's it, I turn the phone off. Lock the door. If anybody knocks, I'm not in. This is my time. This is precious to me. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying is that taking time out like that for yourself is not important. It is. It's absolutely important. But being ruled by our watch, because we've just crammed so many things into our diaries, into our schedule, um, it just leaves no space again to get into the flow of what God is doing uh, in our communities so how then can we break free from all of this? How can we be less concerned over our time, less concerned about entertainment? What can we, how can we talk less and actually start to do more? What can we do to become less driven by comfort and less driven by our efforts to maintain a specific level, uh, standard of living? I think there are a few things that we can do. And again, this is, I've got six things, but... Because of time, I'm just literally going to like zip through them, say a couple of things, and then we've got the important guys to come up. So um, I think, firstly, one of the things we can do, and this is where it starts, it starts with spending time with the greatest servant of all, Jesus. It's about just getting 
in that place of intimacy with him regularly, on our own, just us and him. And that's our first goal, isn't it? Though I said earlier on, what's our three goals? It's to be with Jesus. So we're just kind of like outworking our first goal, being with Jesus. And this is about just really kind of res- getting with him so that we, he, our hearts can resonate together over the same things. He can give us his heart. He, we can actually find our identity in him in that place. Um, I can't actually do this kind of foot-level equivalent type serving if I'm not confident in who I am, <laughs> you know? If I'm a little bit insecure in who I am and uh, I'm, I'm just going to be ridiculed if I go do this thing or whatever, I'm just not going to do that unless I know who I am in Christ. So clearly, there's such great value in just spending time with Jesus. So second one is all about us, uh, being really honest about what and who we are serving. Being really honest about what we're serving. What, what is really is your heart on this thing? Uh, where is your heart divided? Are we actually trying to serve two masters in our life at the moment? It's really quite easy, you know. If you don't want to know what masters you are serving, just uh, have a look at your calendar, your diary for last month or whatever. you actually see what the things that you spent all your time, where you, where you were going uh, this week. Or look at your bank statements and your checkbook stubs. What you spent your money on. <laughs> if you want to know what you're serving, those things will tell you. It's really easy. Third one. It's all about training yourself to practice noticing. Train yourself to make that choice to notice things around you, the need that is around you, not to ignore it. You know, Jesus was really good at noticing. He noticed the crowds when they were like hungry. He noticed Zacchaeus in the tree. Remember that story? <laughs> that little Zacchaeus up in the tree. He noticed him. He noticed the woman that had like a, a, a blood disorder illness. Even though she kind of just touched the back of his garment behind him, he noticed. He noticed. He noticed the blind guy who was on the side of the road when everybody was telling him to shut up. He noticed him. He was all about doing the Father's will and working for his kingdom, which freed him up to notice need around him, to notice what the Father was doing. So I think that's what we need to do. We need to, I think it's about intentionally slowing down sometimes. Just slow down in order to notice the needs and things that need to be done. When it comes to here on a Sunday, you know, notice who isn't present with us. And then maybe think, ah, maybe I need to get in touch with that person. Maybe there's a need that I could serve in this situation. Notice that. And kind of in a way, you're choosing to notice that a foot washing need in, in that, if that makes sense. <clears throat> Train yourself to have eyes that notice things that need to be done around us. Again, things that need to occur here to make a Sunday gathering happening. There's just so much stuff setting up, setting down refreshments, clearing up afterwards and everything. Having eyes to notice those things and going and doing it. I, I know... There are individuals here, and I saw them this morning. I'm not going to paint them out because it's not right. And they notice things. They see somebody come in, there's no chair. Oh, just dip off and get chairs. And you, they notice, a servant-hearted individual notices need and acts upon it. Next one. Adopt 
a, a serv- adopt servanthood as a lifestyle. Adopt it as a lifestyle, not as an occasional project, but an ongoing lifestyle. And that's challenging. It, it'll be, it's hard right at first. But ask yourself, what needs to change in my life for me to actually take on a, a servanthood lifestyle? Again, it's about pausing and looking around, see what the need is, what needs to be done. And then over, the t- over time, that becomes more of a natural thing within us. Um, and then lastly... It's about remembering serving. Oh, no, it's not. It's the last last but one. Remember, serving doesn't necessarily mean just a physical thing. Okay? It's not not just a physical thing. Serve in prayer. Serve by praying for others. Serve with a good attitude. Serve with a smile. You know, I've seen some people say, oh, yeah, I'll do it. (laughs) Can you just uh, kind of fit that up? Yeah, I'll do it. Serve Serve with a smile. (laughs) That's that's more of a servant-hearted attitude. Serve serve with your attitude. There you go. And then the last one. Remember Jesus' words. You will be blessed if you do these things. You will be blessed. Servant isn't... It's not just serving just so we do more stuff. Servant isn't, it's just not serving, it's not serving to be seen, is it? It's not serving to gain brownie points by people. We serve because he first served us. And we serve because he, he was an example, he set an example for us to do this. But there is this kingdom principle, and Jesus said it. Now that you know this, you will be blessed if you do it. Does anybody want to be blessed? Yeah, a couple of people. Um, <laughs> I want to be blessed. We'll be blessed if we do this. The thing is, I think that a loving, sort of heart-level, serving church is, is what the world needs to know. And I think that's what the world needs to experience. And it's, it's so, I think it's the last thing that I believe that God would have us is keep this to ourselves, you know? To be just internally serving and loving. And I just think we need to go public, with this we need to go public we need to outwork it uh, this kind of foot washing heart level servitude out there with others and there's a number of ways that we actually do that we've do, we've you know taken teams of people into town we've gone and washed the toilets for some of the uh, retail businesses in town actually that's a pretty good equivalent to like modern day foot washing Okay, if you took a foot washing, then he's cleaning the toilets today. So we've taken teams up to town, gone into the shops. Can we clean your toilets, please? You get some rather raised eyebrows and funny responses, but it's good fun. But that's, I think it's really, really cool. That's what it's about. I think we've gone out, we've washed cars for people, we've cleared gardens for people. It's all those sorts of things. Well, this morning we got some other options as well. And this is our, hey, he's thinking, thank goodness for that. I was just waiting. Wait, no, it's, like, it's been good. Um, so, yeah, if you want to come and join us, why don't you give, a, a, this is a, a Daventry Vineyard welcome to the street pastor guys. Yeah. So, Mike, as I say, Mike, uh, I've known for many years, he was around uh, street pastors when it very, very first started. So, he's been stuck with it. How many years? Have it's eight years September. Wow. Yeah. So I'm really excited what he's going to share with us. Have a listen in. And if you've got some, are you okay if some questions to come from yeah, the floor? Afterwards or yeah, fine. I'm sure I'll miss things out. <laughs> I'm here. Oh, thanks for the welcome, by the way. It's, it's good to be here. It's good to worship God together in, in um, 
I'm from Long Butby Baptist Church. Uh, I've been there for, uh, for eight years. And as Rob said, we were in the Daventry Christian Assembly for, uh, for many years. And uh, they still meet across the road at, at Nen Hall, which, which I run in my spare time. But Peter's with me from the Anglican Church in Daventry, the Holy Cross. And Street Pastors in Daventry is a Churches Together initiative. Um, you can't operate as a street pastor uh, team without at least four churches in Daventry coming together. So there's more than four signatory churches to the Daventry Street Pastor Initiative, which is, which is really good. So it's, it's good to be with other Christians and, and, and worship in all kinds of different ways. There's no prescribed way how we should worship God, um, as long as, as, like Rob said, our heart is after God and we've got a servant heart. So serving God, as you can serve God in all kinds of ways, and street pastors... Um, is, is a way of doing that. Um, it's, it's, we, we're kind of seen in Daventry as, as a, a, a little bit of a, uh, an easy touch as far as street pastoring in Daventry is concerned. Uh, I was speaking to a, uh, a, a doorman at um, Friday's nightclub uh, a couple of weeks ago, and he, he'd been in cities where street pastors operate, and he said to us, you've got to be easy. He said, you've really got it easy. And we have, because the streets of Daventry, since we started in 2010 at night, have become really, really quiet. They've become, um, so I'm not going to say when you come out with, if, if any of you want to come out with us, then please do. We have, we have an observer with us last night with no obligation. She came out with us. She was interested in becoming a street pastor. You come out, we've got an observer high-vis jacket that you wear. You could come out and see what we do. And, and though it was... A quiet night, you'd have thought being a summer's evening, it would have been really busy, but it was a quiet night again. But we are a, street, we are a presence on the streets, and people see us, and they, the first thing they ask us is, uh, are you paid for this? Are you paid? And we say, no, no, we're not, we're not paid. And they're kind of, kind of shocked, and it gains quite a lot of respect when they know you're doing something when you're not paid for it, much the same as when you're cleaning toilets or, or, or giving out donuts or whatever. You know, it's, it's good to do things with, with, a, with a charitable heart. And that gains a lot of respect. So as far as street pastors are concerned, you know, what, what do we actually do? Well, we, we go around. If we see need, the, the, the real need is, you know, when we first started, we used to come across a lot of people who were inebriated, who were, who were drunk uh, and, and, and needed assistance. So we'd try and get them home. Um, we, if, they were, if they were women who were walking in high heels, um, often what the, what the first thing they do when they've had a few drinks is take their high heels off and they, they walk on what might be glass on the streets. So we give them flip-flops, we clear up the glass, uh, we, we, we do that. And it's, it's, just, it's just showing that the church together can do something for the good of society. It's not just, it's not just believing something in your head like Rob's expressed today. It's not just you know, talking about faith, it's, it's that outworking of your faith. And, and Daventry Street Pastors, so we, so we I mean, the, the need is, is really quiet in Daventry at the moment. Um, you know, we're not meeting people in great need. But last night, you know, we, ha we, have, we have a good relationship with the security staff on the nightclubs. There's only two nightclubs in Daventry now. There's Fridays and, and, and Chasers. The Square closed down, which was another one on, on, on opposite Waitrose. Um, so, the, so, but we, we have a good relationship. We, we, we always talk to the door staff at, at, at Chasers and Fridays and at, the, at Tesco's and some of the retailers as well who are operating. We have a good relationship with them. Um, so it's a, it's, a, it's a good way of, of, of showing your faith in a small way of being a presence on the streets. And when you see need, 
We've seen homeless people. We have, um, we have blankets, uh, thermal blankets to give to them. We, have, we even have tents to give to these homeless people. I mean, I know it's not quite going as far as the, 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 the man who saw, uh, the, who, who saw the guy who had been robbed on the road to Damascus, who, who <laughs> went so far in helping that guy. But it is, it is a little bit. It's a little way of saying we give out these, these tents, these, um, these thermal tents. We give out blankets. We give out water. Um, we even buy meals for, for people who are homeless. We don't come across a lot of homelessness in Daventry. There's not a big problem, but when we come across it, we try and help, and, um, and, and, and people are appreciative. We give out lollipops, which is, which is so, you might think, well, why do you do that? But it was, first of all, that was initiative from the police. The police um, saw that when people were getting into a fight because they were a little bit drunk or had too much to drink, um, what you do, you can diffuse a situation by giving a lollipop. And they give him a line, and they, they kind of froze them off. What they were, and then they forget what they, what, why they were arguing. And that was what the police did. So the police, the police actually said, lollipops is a good... So the street pastors took that on board, and we carry lollipops. And we give lollipops out to, to anybody that asks. But mainly the teenagers ask, they see us, and they ask for, us, uh, for lollipops. And then when we start, we, we're quite different in Daventry. We start at 8 o'clock, whereas most street pastor teams in, in, in other cities and places start at like 10 o'clock at night, and go on to three o'clock in the morning. We, we start at eight, and we meet the youth before they have to go home. And so we have a relationship with the youth in, in the recreation ground in Daventry and other places. And, and when they're old enough to drink, they remember us. You know, and and they, even when they're driving their cars, they stop their cars and ask us for a lollipop. <laughs> you know, we've had motorbikes come up to us and we wonder what's going on. They stop, take their helmets off and say, can we have a lollipop? You might, you might, think, well, you might think that's insignificant, but it builds relationships. And it's a, good pre it's a good way of getting presence on the streets. And what I, I hope as a Christian, and it hasn't happened very often, um, I hope that when somebody asks me what motivates me to be on the streets being unpaid, I hope I can share you know, what motivates me. And that's my faith. My faith is something that I, I want to express in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a servant way. And you know, I've, only, I've only prayed, I think, two or three times on the street when somebody's asked for prayer for their need. That often when they've been bereaved, people you know, will, will cry out to God in, in, you know, and pray. You know, it's not just Christians who pray. Everybody prays often when they're in need. And people will come and, and, and from time to time and ask for prayer. And I've only done that three, year, three times in eight years. But they, those were precious times that I was able to pray with somebody on the streets. But it's, it's all about helping, as I say, with lollipops, flip-flops. We, have, we, we turn people to the agencies who, um, who also help. We, we try and point them in the right direction when they need help. Um, uh, and, and we, as I say, no big need. And you might think the streets of Daventry are full of trouble, that you know, your life's in danger. But it's not true. Even in the cities, um, the guy who started Street Pass is a guy called Les Isaacs, who's a Pentecostal preacher, uh, minister in London. And, and the way Street Pastors came about, he was... He was um, he was in Jamaica, because that's where he's from, and he saw that the, 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 the guys on the street, the drug dealers, the criminals, the only people they had respect for were, strip, were pastors. And he thought, well, how can I take that, that mentality, that, that, that thought from uh, having respect for pastors into London? And, and he, he came up with this initiative, Street Pastors, and, and, and that's how it grew, and it's now not just a national organization, it's an international organization. Started 15 years ago, and, it, and it's going from strength to strength. And they've even reached out now to school pastors and, uh, and response pastors. So when Grenfell Tower uh, went up and, and, and the aftermath of that, um, 
they had response pastors who went to the Grenfell Tower victims and consoled them in their need. And, and, that's, and that's, that's all it's about. It's about helping people where they are and, and, just, and just showing the love of Jesus in a practical way. It's not about preaching. It's not about, it's not about you know, standing on the street corners. And people have that, that thought about um, street pastors, that we're going to stand there and, and preach the gospel. It's not about that. It's, uh, it's about helping people. But if there is opportunity to share your faith, if somebody asks you what motivates you and, and why you do what you do, then, then you tell it it's because of Jesus and what he's done for you. And, and when those times come, they are precious times, and, 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 and it's just good to share your faith because you know, you know that you're fulfilling Scripture, you know, that we're called ambassadors. You know, we go in the name of the king. We, we speak on behalf of, of, of Jesus. Um, so I don't want to ramble on any much longer, but, um, but yeah, we're here to recruit, really, because we're down to like seven active street pastors uh, in Daventry, and the minimum you should have, according to our governing body, Ascension Trust, is 12. We started with 12, but from day one we were down to 11. Now we're down to seven active street pastors in Daventry, so we're struggling to put a team out most weekends. You're only committed to do um, 12 um, a year, and even that we're not doing that. At the moment we're just going out uh, the last two um, weekends of, of a month, because that's the time we thought was most busy, when people have had their paycheck and, and, and are going to go out and, and spend it on, on having a good time, as, as it were. Um, so, so, we, so the commitment is as much as you want to give, really. You're not committed. Uh, you know, you, you, the rotor comes out, you, you give your commitment, and, and, and if you need a swap at the last minute with somebody, you contact other street passers, can you swap? So it's quite a, a relaxed kind of thing. Um, we go out at 8 o'clock. We, we generally finish at 12 o'clock at midnight in, in Daventry. But it, once you're trained, if you wanted more action, <laughs> you know, once you're trained as a street pastor, you, you could go and join rugby or Northampton, where, where, where the streets are busier. Um, but we wouldn't want that in Daventry unless you were doing both, because this is a recruitment drive. Because um, you know, if, if we don't carry on, we could stop and, and it'll fade away. And, and you know, but, you know. Things can change. The streets might get busier. The nighttime economy has gone down. As you, as you know, the, the Coach and Horses pub in Daventry closed. The square has closed. The Plume of Feathers closed a couple of times in the years that we took. Chasers was, you know, that, that closed and opened up as Chasers. The, 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 the uh, Casey's nightclub, that's very quiet. So, you know, it's a, it's a quiet town. You're not going to get stabbed, I don't think. You're not going to get shot at, you know. And, and we very rarely do we meet opposition, um, you know, we had one guy um, who, who used to be at, the, at Casey's nightclub, and he used to give us a lot of abuse, but then he abused everybody, so you know, we weren't singled out. So, but it's a good to be walking around with your emblazoned uniform street pastors. We've got coats, we've got hats, we've got beanies, um, we've got bags with all kinds of um, things that we can help people with. Um, so, yeah, um, what should I say? Well, questions, really. <laughs> but if you want to be a street pastor, the training is, is done in various locations uh, around locally. We try and meet up with other street pastor teams. I'm in touch with the lady in Margaret Harbour who co coordinates the training. Um, we, we pay mileage to, to get you to that training. We're tr going to try and recruit as many as possible and try and uh, organise that. We, the, the street pastors in Daventry who need that training all go together. So mileage is paid. I think it's 45 pence a mile for the, the training. The uniform is paid for in Daventry, whereas in other street pastor initiatives, um, people have to buy their own uniform. We do all that. We, we have a good um, relationship with the police. Uh, that they, they really like street pastors happening in, in places because they've seen a reduction in crime. 
in, in, in the areas where on the nights that street pastors uh, operate, crime goes down. And, they, and they, they, they've actually, uh, uh, our foundation in Daventry, they gave us grants to, to get street pastors off the ground. Mm. It's, it's, it's been an amazing uh, growth you know, of, of street pastors nationally, uh, internationally, and, and even locally. It's, it's had, you know, it gets such a, a lot of respect from people. Um, and and even, even last night, we had, even though there wasn't a lot going on, people said, oh, it's great what you do. I'm glad you're on the streets. And it's a good thing. It is a real good thing. And I encourage you, if you want to, if you want to, Join Street Passes. We've got cards. We've got an information booklet uh, that we can give to you. The, the, the card's got my, uh, my personal mobile on it, and, and it's got the, the, the Street Pass to Gmail account, uh, email on it. Just use that card to contact me, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll point you in the right direction of the next steps, really. So, so any questions? Yeah. Yeah, and, yeah. Has anybody got anything? They just want to find out. Yeah, you said that, but what...